So when I say healthcare, anywhere in the world, what words come to mind? I mean, it depends. There's loads of perspectives and everything, but I doubt that many people would use the words interconnected or unified or synergies because it's not. It's fragmented. It's messy. And this is all pre-pandemic as well. On the coalface, for the clinicians, the humans, on the front line, there's only so much pressure that a person can take. Clinician burnout is a real thing. And so what do we do? Well, today I'm chatting with Dr. Travis Bias from 3M's Health Information System Division about how we can reduce the administrative burden for clinicians to free up more time to care for patients. We'll talk about this issue of burnout and how it's impacting clinicians across the world and here in Australia, and explore the technology that can be used now to improve things for clinicians, healthcare systems, and patients. Collaboration starts with the conversation, Team Health Tech. Let's make it happen. Welcome to Talking Health Tech with Peter Birch, a podcast featuring conversations with key players and influencers to promote innovation and collaboration for better healthcare enabled by technology. With me today is Dr. Travis Bias. He's the medical director of the clinical solutions team within 3M's Health Information Systems Division. He's a family medical physician with clinical experience in different settings. He's also taught medicine in central Kenya and eastern Uganda. He's lectured at George Washington University and University of California Berkeley Schools of Public Health. And within 3M, he's previously a clinical transformation physician consultant within the Performance Matrix Consulting Team. Hey, Travis, how are you doing? Hey, how's it going? Thanks for having me today. Appreciate it. Really good. Thanks for coming on the show. I can tell by your thick Australian accent that you must be joining from somewhere locally. <laughs> Not exactly. I wish I was. I'm still waiting for, uh, for the permission to come back and uh, visit, but I know I'm based in Denver, Colorado. Love it. Well, thank you for making the time to, to join it this time too. So for everyone listening in, help set the scene. Tell us a little bit more about yourself and your background, Travis. Yeah, sure. No, again, Pete, it's an honor to be with you. Thanks so much for having me. And uh, by background, I'm a family medicine physician, as you mentioned, or, or a GP rather. Uh, and I've worked in several different kind of clinical settings. I finished my training 10 years ago, and I've practiced in kind of a small single specialty practice based in the suburbs of Austin, Texas. I've uh, practiced in the employer-based setting, so practicing primary care at tech companies here in the States, as well as doing some telemedicine over, over the course of the last year. I also, as you mentioned, have taught for a little over a year in East Africa. Uh, I taught first in a family medicine residency program or registrar training, essentially, that was getting set up in central Kenya, and then switched over and taught as part of a U.S. Peace Corps partnership in a medical school in eastern Uganda for about eight months. And as you can tell, some of my interest is more at the health system level. And so um, drawing on some of that experience I've taught some courses on comparative health systems and global health diplomacy in a couple schools of public health, namely George Washington and University of California, Berkeley here in the States. I'm actually teaching some of that remotely while I was based in Eastern Uganda, actually. And for the last two and a half years, again, that health systems interest in my, you know, there's only so long you can work in a broken health system before you want to work and impact things at the system level. And so fortunately, 3M gave me that opportunity two and a half years ago, where I came in as an essentially a clinical operations consulting role for a couple of years. And for the last six months have pivoted over to work within our uh, clinician solutions group, or effectively our immodal of business. 3M acquired immodal back in 2019. And we can talk a little more about that. But our clinician solutions group is housed within our health information systems division here at 3M. 
Yeah, got it. Okay, great. Thank you. And so, so in this episode, we're, we're, we're really focusing in on that point around clinician burnout and that issue. It's a real one. Tell us a bit more about that as a clinician yourself and from your own experiences and what you've seen in regards to clinician burnout. Sure, absolutely. I, I appreciate the question because it's something that's been talked about a lot more and more recently, I think. And as you heard in my background, I've switched jobs several different times. And <laughs> part of the reason for that is I think seeking out settings that are a better balance for me and better uh, ways that I can take care of patients and serve patients. And so there are really kind of two major areas that are kind of problems that, as we see it within the health system, you know, first, there's an extraordinary amount of competing demands on doctors' time. I know, again, throughout my career, I've sought out settings where I could just have more time to spend with patients. That's all I wanted was more time. And that's because in so many different settings, I felt pulled in many different directions, you know, urgent patient visits, patient phone calls, charts that need to be completed in the electronic medical record, phone calls from the specialist or the consultant, you get the idea. <laughs> and secondly, throughout our day in medicine, there are numerous interruptions that demand cognitive task switching. And that can be enormously disruptive. Uh, for example, doctors can get paged multiple times an hour with requests for help during an already busy shift. And so those disruptions throughout our day, that can negatively impact the doctor's stress level, the completeness of the chart in the electronic medical record if they're charting, even the quality of care delivered to the patient. And many of these disruptions as well, these are kind of numerous administrative or clerical tasks that doctors are expected to perform. And these are tasks, by the way, that we were not trained to do in medical school, right? Like, nor are we really the best team member to perform. And so these tasks largely support the business of medicine, including completing the documentation in specific ways that those who are paying for healthcare demand it, whether it's a public or private payer. And rather than simply documenting the necessary clinical story to actually take care of the patient in front of you or to ensure that they're receiving quality of care. And so then layer on new technologies on top of all of that, like the electronic medical record and other bells and whistles, and the number of tasks and clicks throughout the day can just be stress inducing for the average clinician. Uh, of course, not all technology is burdensome. That's not what I'm saying, but it really depends on how it's kind of deployed and directed by humans. And so those time demands, those disruptions, they're numerous. And then we added a once in a century pandemic on top of all of that. So frontline clinicians are understandably stressed. And so health systems and their leaders, many that we talk to, are more and more dialed into how they can improve the work environment of their clinicians in order to better serve their patients. And so, as I mentioned, you know, burnout's been talked about a lot. I think really over the last decade, maybe 15 years, you know, the World Health Organization has helped to define it better. And against the backdrop of a pandemic, there's so much that's been written about in popular media and journals about how burnout really affects workers and, and clinicians of all types. And so health leaders right now in the States uh, are focused a lot, and I'm, I'm sure in Australia as well, focused on what they can do to address burnout both directly and indirectly. So you hear a lot about, you know, different wellness initiatives that focus on offering doctors resources to do yoga or have free laundry services or increased individual resilience training. And really what I think, rather than those kind of initiatives that really focus on addressing burnout directly, I think what a lot of clinicians want is actually things that more maybe indirectly address burnout. And really, that's simply just tools to make their workday easier. <laughs> and so... I think it really takes acknowledging that burnout is really a multifactorial issue. Sure, there are individual issues that should be and can be addressed, 
but we all work in a system. And so there are organizational and system factors to be addressed as well, perhaps primarily, actually. And so we need to really change the way that we talk about burnout. And so I think no matter where you are in the world, burnout really all kind of boils down to this, that health workers simply want the time and the tools to do their job well. We were trained to perform at a high level, to care for others. And when we lack the time and the tools, uh, such as adequate staffing on our teams, adequate medications or supplies, it's incredibly deflating. And so when we don't have these, we might uh, health workers of all types might migrate to other work environments, maybe even leaving healthcare altogether, uh, or they may even migrate across borders to a setting more conducive to a healthy, balanced lifestyle. And so that then, of course, exacerbates existing health workforce issues, shortages, and stress in communities all over the world. So multiple reasons that we really need to be focusing on addressing burnout. Yeah, it's, I mean, it's an issue that's touched on there is that it's a global one. It's not one that's just isolated to the US and even clinicians leaving one part of the world to go to another, it's probably not necessarily going to fix it for the, definitely not for the system, probably not for the clinician either. So, you know, it's something that does need to be addressed. And I always find this interesting that the more and more technology that's brought into a health setting, often it's brought in to try and make things better in the healthcare system, but technology calls for data and often it comes down to the clinician that needs to capture that data. So it creates more work for them to do, which doesn't help the issue at all. It just adds to it, right? Yeah, absolutely. Well, I think that's why we have to really be thoughtful about technology and about how we, not only the technological tools that we're creating, but how it's really integrated into the work environment of the clinician, really think about how they're going to use that throughout their workday. I think that's that's an excellent point. And I think there are all kinds of technological tools and bells and whistles that are fun, you know, apps on your smartphone, what have you. But when it comes to healthcare, I mean, we're, the implications, we're, we're taking care of patients. This is their health. This is their livelihood. And when we're deploying technology to help clinicians, we need to be clear about the problems that we're trying to solve rather than just to create something kind of a, a shiny new object that might make things marginally better for them. Mm. And, you know, you talked about integrating it into the workflow for the clinician. I imagine a central part of all of that would be then working with the EMR, the electronic medical record within a hospital setting. Is that right? Sure. I mean, the, the, the electronic medical record is where clinicians spend the bulk of their time, I, I would imagine, during during the workday, you know, I think most people outside of healthcare might spend a lot of their workday on various video conferencing platforms or email or what have you. But really, the bulk of our work takes place in the electronic medical record and the in-basket that's within that electronic medical record and the charts that are held within there. And so the promise of the MR the last 15 years has been great. It really was designed to help us retrieve the necessary information at the right time to improve quality of care, to improve communication between health workers and even improve the communication between us and our patients. I mean, there have been obvious bumps in the road for us here in the States with EMR rollouts. It doesn't, it's not hard to, to read about that. Uh, and originally it was thought that, of course, the EMR would bring better care. I remember when I was interviewing over 10 years ago now for my essentially registrar training here in the States in, as a GP, I interviewed at a program where they did not have an electronic medical record deployed um, some programs had EMRs and some were still on paper charts. And I interviewed at one that was still on paper charts. And I asked one of the faculty members, I said, hey, do you have a plan to deploy an EMR anytime soon? And he, he was kind of harsh about it. He launched into this lecture to me about how the EMR had not been proven to improve clinical outcomes. And of course, at the time, I'm a young, you know, about to be a young trainee. And I thought, what does this guy know? <laughs> right? Like, this guy obviously does not know what he's talking about. But 
little did I know how much the EMR would demand of me in my future practice, the clicks, the entries throughout the patient visit, throughout the day. Many of those tasks are not ideal uses of our time, right? A highly paid data entry specialist or other uh, might be better suited for that task, actually. And, and again, those tasks are just not what we were trained to do. So there's a huge mismatch there. You know, doctors were trained to put patterns together and to synthesize data points to make complex decisions to care for individual patients. And the EMR just doesn't seem to efficiently support that at times. There is no doubt that we are better off because of the EMR, right? Information is better organized. It's more complete. And gradually, it's getting easier to share health information with the right members of the patient's care team. Of course, we've learned a lot about the EMR and its deployment. And so uh, we've learned more about the fact that its success really depends on how the EMR is configured and implemented and how an organization's leadership supports and directs its, its usage. And so now at 3M and now at Modal, again, we acquired a Modal in, back in 2019, we're working to strengthen the information collected in the EMR to help clinicians work more efficiently within the EMR, ideally through making that technology mold to the way a doctor organizes his or her thinking and work, rather than forcing the doctor to fit within the confines of the EMR. And uh, we do this, again, with the goal of technology is so central to our work, but the goal really ought to be moving that technology further and further into the background so that clinicians can focus their attention on building those human connections with patients that patients crave and that make our work more rewarding. And so, again, the goal of building technology that augments the way that clinicians work. Yeah, I love it. So that makes a lot of sense to me about how technology can can help with those issues of, of clinician burnout and, and helping them focus more on patients. Let's get a bit more specific. What, what technology are we talking about in this conversation? Again, thinking back to that time and attention deficit I was speaking about earlier, our goal is to address that deficit by leveraging the latest technology to really improve doctors' efficiency in handling those information gathering, documentation, and, and, and triaging some of those tasks to the right member of the care team. And so some of those tasks require capturing information for budgeting or billing purposes. And th this information is important, right? This information comes from doctors' documentation about the patient. And if that documentation is not complete and accurate, then that can affect the information available to the health system and thus the resources mobilized to care for that population. And so what we do is we leverage our natural language understand. We call it natural language understanding. You might have heard of it called natural language processing. We like to call it natural language understanding with this NLU engine. We use this engine to proactively deploy nudges within the electronic medical record in real time to help fill gaps in documentation that need filling to improve physician's efficiency in the chart again that first time around. And again, with the goal of freeing up physicians' time and attention to focus their efforts on higher level complex tasks. So the way that we get to this place of documentation efficiency and accuracy is through leveraging this natural language understanding engine that's grounded in rule-based clinical intelligence. So it's a rule-based AI, if people are familiar with artificial intelligence, this is a rule-based AI that's built on internationally recognized ontologies such as SNOMED that allows for more detailed and structured clinical insight beyond simply ICD-10 codes. Our natural language understanding engine captures context as well as unstructured, so narrative information, uh, whether it's input via speech or type or copy-paste or templates. And then this helps to identify gaps in documentation uh, that need filling. So for example, I might type or dictate in that the patient has heart failure and a nudge within seconds pops up and says, did you mean acute or chronic heart failure? Is this systolic or diastolic heart failure? I might type in chronic kidney disease and it might ask me for a specific stage. Uh, we've built over 400 clinical rules already 
typically at, at early adopters here in the States, we're kind of ruling out, we might roll out like five of those rules per specialty group. So the you know, the cardiologist might get the the rules about heart failure and the cardiac specific, whereas the hospital, so the primary GPs within the hospital might get, you know, maybe eight to 10 rules since they carry a lot of the documentation burden here in the States, at least. We're really thoughtful about advising organizations on how to, how many of those nudges to deploy. Again, all of these clinical rules are uh, locally customizable. So we can, you can use our 400 rules off the shelf, pick and choose which ones make sense for the organization, or if there's something that better aligns to local initiatives, you can obviously, we can work with you. We have adoption specialists that can work with you to create rules around that actually to be searching for through the documentation for that. And when layering on our encounter-based reasoning on top of all that, so we take into account information across the entire hospital admission, uh, this becomes even more impactful. So if I've documented something yesterday, I don't need to document the same specificity today. So the whole goal here is so rather than sending a query or um, a message within my EMR in basket, asking me for more specific information, maybe days later, I'm getting prompted in real time as I'm charting in the patient's chart. Uh, and ideally, again, taking care of some of this lower hanging fruit as I'm going. Uh, so ideally saving me uh, some of this time addressing uh, some of these issues maybe days later. These tools are integrated right into the EMR. And so ideally operating quietly, surfacing nudges as the physician or the doctor or clinician, whoever is dictating or, or charting uh, with the goal of fitting naturally into the way that they're thinking and working. And again, with the whole goal, of just getting the chart complete and accurate the first time around. Um, so decreasing some of those disruptive and retrospective tasks for the doctor, but also ideally bolstering the efficiency of any clinical documentation specialists or coders within uh, the hospital environment as the technology kind of automates some of that lower hanging fruit and allows those teams to really focus on higher yield targets for the organization. So it's really a tool ideally that functions across the whole spectrum from clinician facing onto the clinical documentation improvement teams in the middle and coding teams on the back end. And if I think about it, then from a clinician's perspective, you know, the last thing that a clinician wants is a hundred pop-ups that comes up every time they're trying to do something really simple. Absolutely. And then that, that's not really addressing the issue. At all. If, if anything, that's just, you know, exacerbating, making the issue worse. But what, you, what I hear you saying is, you know, getting the right information up front first so that then you're not constantly bugged about it later when you're not thinking about it. That's exactly right. So if you imagine I'm trying to work on a chart three days after I've seen a patient, I go into my end basket and someone says, hey, Mrs. Smith, what type of heart failure exacerbation did she have when she was admitted to the hospital last week? Well, I don't really remember Mrs. Smith's story probably. I'm taking care of multiple different patients. So I've got to go back into her chart, remind myself her story and her specific diagnoses, and then answer that uh, request for more information. And so really that's disruptive on, on the day that I'm responding to that query. It's not an efficient use of my time if I could have addressed that when I was in Mrs. Smith's chart to begin with. And so you're exactly right. That's, that's the goal of that time savings. And again, what we tell people is that the EMR in basket, unfortunately, we can't take all the tasks out of the in basket. But what we can do is we can really change the makeup of the EMR in basket to where really the tasks that are sitting there asking for my, more information really do require that thoughtful time and attention from the doctor. Now, that's awesome. So then looking then at the future for this space, what, what does it look like? Are there new and emerging technologies that you're excited and interested about that have a meaningful impact? So definitely. So we're trying to get to a, a place where technology is really augmenting that patient-doctor interaction and really working to build on the, the strengths of 3M's decades of work in clinical documentation improvement as well as Immodal's decades of work in transcription, 
as well as front end speech recognition, as well as the natural language understanding engine that we discussed earlier to get to a point where the attention in the visit between doctor and patient is really focused on building that human connection that patients crave. And again, to make our work more rewarding, where technology is really augmenting their interaction, whether that technology is explicitly directed or even implicitly requested to do so, where documentation and the box clicking and the clerical administrative tasks really become a byproduct of the whole encounter produced automatically thanks to technology. And so that's really the ambient future that we're building towards. Many health systems and their leaders, as I mentioned, have initiatives that are doing whatever they can to address burnout. I think this is one of those places where we can really start to address burnout. If we can get to a place where the doctor is not tied to the computer screen, not tied to technology, and really able to focus on the patient in front of them to really care for them, I think that's key. And so I think the more that we can do to build tools that make doctors' work days easier and really help them, again, address the patient in front of them and care for the patient in front of them, I think that's probably the best thing that we can do with our time and resources is really to build incredible tools that help them kind of regain balance as they're caring for patients. I think that's the right reasons to be doing things. So I'm going to put some details for 3M and everything we've talked about in the show notes of this episode for people to check out in their time and also the directory listing on the Talking Health Tech website for 3M, which will have some links on it too. Look, Travis, I really appreciate you making the time and having the conversation. Thank you so much. Pete, thanks for your time. Appreciate it. Thanks for listening to the show. Check out TalkingHealthTech.com to connect with other people in our community and to learn more about the Australian health tech industry. Also, make sure you hit subscribe on your favourite podcast player so you don't miss an episode and share this episode with a few people who need to hear it. Now go make it happen.